you all get ready for this phenomenal conversation that I have with Brother Masood Abdul Haq. He is an author, an executive, all right? He is also a speaker and he is a head of operations of the pediatric clinic, two of them, by the way, that him and his wife run together, all right? So I want you all to make sure you have your notebooks, pens, or pencils ready because the nuggets are going to be dropped all through this episode. And just to pre-warn you all, I'm not going to be shown through the episode. You can definitely hear me, but you can definitely see Masood throughout the podcast. All right. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Ms. Sasha, and with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. Oh my goodness, you guys, I am just so excited. Uh, I have an awesome, awesome guest on my show, but before I introduce him, I have to say a couple things. Number one, I want to thank all of my old head listeners who've been rocking with me since day one, since I started Real Reading Talk. Uh, so I appreciate you guys tremendously. And my newbies, you know, you guys, those of you who either stumbled across the podcast or on the different podcast platforms, or if someone had sent the podcast to you, I thank you again for checking me out. And I hope not only do you gain much benefit, I hope that you enjoy it. Because when I talk to my guests, I don't like to call it an interview. It's a conversation. Okay, so it's, it's a chill vibe. I'm a chill person. I like to have fun, as well as talk about the serious issues that uh, we are dealing with in our community. And even though we did not start these things, it's still our responsibility to dive in and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to solve the problems and issues that we are faced with in the black community. So with all that being said, let me say this, happy birthday to my dad, George Daryl Brazil. All right, so I gotta give a shout out to my daddy, you know, so I hope he is enjoying himself. He is going to uh, New Orleans uh, today to visit uh, my sister. So that's pretty dope. So I just had to say happy birthday to him, of course. All right. And uh, so now I am ready to introduce this awesome, phenomenal brother that actually I just met through social media. You know, a lot of us, you know, meeting folks through social media, you know, we, you know, skim through pages and we see different things We're like, oh, wow, okay. Oh man, this person, well, they're doing real great things. All right, let me connect to that person. So at least that's what I do, you know what I'm saying? So, and um, this brother here, uh, he is an author, an executive, a speaker, husband, father, just a dope all-around brother, Black Muslim brother, and his name is Brother Masood Abdul Haq. So I want everyone to welcome him to Real Reading Talk. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Seisha. And, um, you know, I, I've got to say, similar to you, well, first of all, happy birthday to, to Pops. You know, the, definitely got to show love uh, to one of your giants. 
And um, similar to you, you know, just browsing your page and seeing, you know, the emphasis that you place on reading and and the different ways that you get people to engage and think about, you know, some of the issues that, you know, plague our communities as it as it um, pertains to a lack of reading. You know, I definitely your your page jumped out at me as well. And and um, when when you were um, interested in the book and when you were interested in me and coming on, I I jumped at that opportunity because it's it's so necessary and, and I'm I'm honored to be here. That's what's up. Well, I definitely again I appreciate you. Uh, immensely for, you know, agreeing to come on to the show. So that is so dope. So first, before we get into the book, people want to know a little bit about you, your background. So tell everybody about Brother Masood. Yeah, so um, I I was born Muslim um, in Fort Worth, Texas in the early 80s. And uh, like a lot of people, you know, kind of like me, born into families that um, everybody's growing at the same time. You know, conversion to Islam um, is is something that makes somebody recalibrate their faith, recalibrate their entire uh, way of life in the middle of life. And it's not it's not easy. So, you know, we're, I'm the son of, of, of two converts. They were trying to figure themselves out at the same time. They're trying to raise a new family. It was a bunch of us. And uh, we ended up traveling a little bit um, from from Texas to New Mexico. So I got an experience around, you know, uh, you know, all different types of people. Uh, we had Jewish, Muslims, uh, Spanish, Hispanic, white, former hippies. Um, so, you know, I, I became uh, I, I was exposed to a lot, you know, a lot more than just a, a lot of people who would have just been born on the same block or. Um, just stayed in the same city. I was exposed to different cultures, and like any, and like anybody else who's Muslim, you know, we were exposed to different cuisines and foods and stuff like that. So even though we may not have been well to do, you know, we were definitely worldly, and um, you know, we had a, a diverse palate for for our food, for our you know our interests, uh, what we like to read, what we like to watch, all that sort of thing was shaped by that upbringing. Um, and finally, when I was when I was um, about nine or ten, my, my family moved to Atlanta, and we grew up in the Imam Jamil Alamin Imam Jamil Alamin's community in Atlanta. And um, in the early '90s, that community was kind of a um, it was like an oasis in a desert, right? In the sense that that neighborhood was extremely violent, drug um, drugs were everywhere, uh, prostitution, just anything you could think of, it was happening in that community. Um, but Muslim kids were somewhat exempt from it. You know, if we if we, if we allowed the, the protection that was available to us to protect us, then we had a free pass, you know, so we didn't have, we weren't subjected to um, some of the same ills and some of the same temptations as some other, uh, some of our peers. So a lot of my writings kind of center around those, uh, those things early because there's not a lot of people who are able to articulate it or who've been willing to. Um, and I think that those stories are very important to, to tell. They are part of our history. And um, when, you, when, I, when you have a gift of, of writing, I feel like it's a responsibility to preserve um, things that have happened and, and help to inform people in the future of some of the, the trials that we've been through, what worked, what didn't work, so that they can, you know, so they can get to their good 
a lot quicker um, with, with a lot less pitfalls and minds in the way, so to speak. I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it, man, listen, <laughs> I told you, look, this is, this is a chill vibe, again, conversation, and I, I want you know, everything to be authentic because that's why it's called real reading talk, right? You know, in the community, right. we say, you know, give me that real talk, no sugar coating, no chaser. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I want. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how we grow, right? We grow when people right. see the authenticity, you know, when they, when they hear about uh, the things, the trials, the tribulations, the vulnerabilities, you know, the times you were scared, you know what I'm saying? The whatever issues, you know what I'm saying? So, and that's exactly what, you know, our audience deserves. And, but what I, what I wanted to say is it, it was crazy because and I'm reading your book and um, before we get, get like, you know, really kind of get into it, I did have a few more questions uh, to ask you in terms of just, you know, culture around reading and those types of things. But I just wanted to say a couple of things um, like you being in the West End of Atlanta, because see, I, I'm a convert you know, myself, you know, I became Muslim mm -hmm. in 93, actually, inshallah, February 14th will be my 30th uh, year, right, okay. you know, being Muslim, so it's like, wow, man, and I remember, you know, when I first became Muslim, it was like, that was all like, you know, Imam Jamil Alameen, and, you know, Wait, were just, you in Atlanta? No, I, I'm from Cleveland, oh, okay. yeah, oh, you heard about it. Okay. right, yeah, because my, um, the, my imam, the one who gave me shahada, Imam Utawaf, in fact, okay. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Masjid IRM. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. that's where I was, quote unquote, raised as a Muslim. I was there for almost 20 years. And okay. so an integral, integral part of the community, all of that. So it was like ingrained, you know, in us in terms of just having the, you know, the attitude of, let, yeah, look, you know, you Muslim, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, you got a better way of life now. And, you know, all, all of these different right. things that we heard. So a lot of stuff right. I was reading in your book, I'm just like, oh, oh, oh my God. So, you know, just, <laughs> just really, really relatable. So I really was feeling that. And then you know. the, the aspect of you, when you were talking about, as far as, you know, with your parents, you know, uh, raising you, you said it was a lot of you all. And I think about, um, you know, when I was married, you know, me and my ex-husband, uh, my first husband, we had one child. And then my ex-husband, um, my second husband, we were married for almost 17 years and we had six kids together. Okay. So yeah. I know about, you Populate know, like this theme. exactly. This theme. Right. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? So I can definitely, uh, you know, relate in terms of just all of those trials and tribulations, especially uh, when you are black and you become Muslim. And I really feel like a lot of us were trying to find who we really were, you know, and who we really should be, you mm -hmm. know, being black, being Muslim, you know, a lot of different. And, and for those of you, I, I want to say this for my listeners, because I have people who listen who aren't Muslim, right? right. So, you know, just, just giving you all the understanding, it's like, you know, a lot of us in the black community who are converts, some people say revert, you know what I'm saying? Going back to, you know, your, you know, original, you know what I'm saying? State submission to one God, because that's all Islam means. A lot of us went through a lot of transformations. And I think that happens with anything, you know, you changing from one way of life to a whole nother way of life. And especially if you're in a society that's, you know, a lot of the different things that you were raised with, you know, you have a lot of stuff where you had to kind of get rid of, you know what I'm saying? You know, you had to change your mentality about, I'll, I'll use something, you know, something as basic as not eating pork, you know, 
you know, that's something that in the black community, you know, you think about it, you raised by, you know, your old school, you know, grandmas and, you know, and your moms and all that. What? What you mean you ain't eating no pork? You know what I'm saying? You was raised right. around. You, they I look at that like it it's an right. indictment on the way they raised you. Like, exactly. you know, what was wrong with what, what was wrong with what I fed you? You know, what was wrong with, with, with going to church? You know, so having, you know, understanding that that's a huge shift, a whole huge mindset to, yes. to you know, to have to change on the fly like that, you know, like the, your faith is the, the the core of who you are. What you believe is the core of who you are. So, you know, being able to have the fortitude to change horses midstream, so to speak, you know, I think is a fascinating concept. And that's why I kind of, you know, I, I say that we might be the youngest demographic on earth in terms of, you know, our culture and what we believe, what we eat, all that sort of thing, like our vernacular, our nomenclature, everything is is still forming. It's still brand new. First, second, third generation. Other people can can point to their traditions, you know, centuries and centuries, millennia even, some people. And we're able to go back to the 70s or the 60s, in some, in some cases, the 90s, you know. So it's a brand new um, group. It's a brand new um, demographic. And so we're all trying to figure it out. You know, we're trying to figure out what works, what didn't work. You know, we're sacrificing certain generations, trying to experiment with one thing. And then we say, okay, that didn't work. So let's try this differently with the next generation. So that's to me why it's so important, you know, as a, a person who's, you know, kind of grew up analog, but kind of turned into digital, you know, like we, I was early teens when the internet hit. So we were at a perfect age to be able to relate to those who, didn't have the technology aspect, but also, you know, we grew up with technology as well. So we can speak to both. And I feel like we have to be somewhat of a bridge. And that's why I was like, I, I've got to speak to some of these things, but I'm a storyteller by nature. So I wasn't just going to be hyper academic about it and like, you know, have all this research. I'm like, I was blessed with a good memory and good experiences, a variety of, of, of experiences. And I didn't want it to just be about me. So it was it was definitely about gratitude and, and, and saying, hey, I, I picked this up from this person and for that person. And, you know, that's that's what we have to do. You know, if, if, if there's a lack of resources, we've got to latch on to the resources that are there. And and then, you know, now it's time to share it. You know, so that's what that was about. That's what's up. And that's it. That's exactly, you know, my takeaway from your book. I mean, just phenomenal in so, so, so many ways. And what I wanted to ask you, though, in terms of your reading habits, you know, as growing up, right? So did you grow up in a household where you saw your parents reading? Was that something that was demanded upon, you know, your family? Absolutely. So first of all, we just didn't do TV like that. You know, the TV just, there was very select times when we were able to watch TV. And, you know, in between, like we, we had a full, uh, in Britannica Encyclopedia Britannica right there in the house and you know you can only be bored for so long like you know saying that oh there's nothing to do eventually you're going to go outside and play you're going to come inside you're going to find something on the shelf and um, my mom she made sure that we were always in the library you know there's a lot of reasons why number one the library had air conditioning <laughs> right like, so okay okay the books are free you can sit there, you can read all day. Nobody's gonna tell you to leave. And so when 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 um when you don't have a lot of means, you know, that public library was huge for us. So mm. we stayed at the library. 
even um you know the where where we learned to swim and things like that the pool there was attached to a library so we'd go and learn how to swim and then head over to the library and um i used to get into these series i, I used to love i kind of mentioned some of them i, I loved uh, encyclopedia brown and hardy boys and then later on i got into like rex stout mysteries um by Nero, about Nero Wolf. Uh, so I used to really love those. They're like old school detective novels about this, I don't know, big fat detective <laughs> and his assistant. Um, so I used to get into those series and then I just would want the next one and the next one and the next one. And it, it, was, uh, it was important for my mother that we had that because, um, you know, it was free and it was, it, it opened us up, it opened our minds up to new worlds. Um, and I mean, we were never censored in terms of what we couldn't read. I was into basketball and stuff like that. So she would steer me toward like, okay, so here's some basketball books. And I, I got an encyclopedia about the NBA. And then I became like a stat nerd, just like reading every single stat. So it was definitely a huge part of, of, of growing up. And, um, and it and you could see it, it reflected. And um, I always say like, um, reading is writing fuel. You know, like if you you're not if you don't read, then it's going to be harder for you to write because you've got such a narrow view. Only your 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 experiences can't be the only thing that that color your worldview. You know, it's a very narrow perspective to have. So. Um, even growing, even getting older, like when I was, um, you know, early teens and stuff like that, I would, you know, it might, it might have been frowned upon or whatever, but I would start reading uh, like Eric Jerome Dickey and Omar Tyree, Sister Soldier, you know, uh, those types of books, even like Donald Goins, Iceberg Slim, all that type of stuff. And, you know, uh, it kind of you know, some of that stuff helped color my my later phases in, in a way that may have been, you know, uh, like, you know, maybe you don't want your kid reading Iceberg Slim too early, but it, it, it lended perspective. And um, I was at a point where, you know, like I said, I was taken from Abiquiu, New Mexico, and then I was dropped into the hood. And then, so I'm reading stuff that's like trying to help me catch up, you know what I mean? Like, I, like how, like the vernacular, like, uh, you know, just some of the cultures, the do's and the don'ts, you know, some of the things that are cool, some of the things that aren't. So, you know, no matter what you're into, no matter what you're, you're concerned about, whatever you're curious about, there's a book for it. And, um, you know, as I matured, then my, my reading palette kind of did the same thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh my goodness, you literally, you said the thing that I definitely tell a lot of people that I engage with when it comes to getting those books for your children. I mean, it's that simple. What you, I mean, it wasn't rocket science, what you said. Your mom was like, oh, you like basketball. Okay, we're about to get you some basketball books. Like, and th that's that's the attitude that we have to have, you know, when it comes to reading. It's like, you know, don't equate it with this, oh my goodness, you know, reading is this thing that you have to be this astute person and, you know, you have to make sure you're reading all of these high level books to really say that you're reading. I mean, even uh, with you, you know, mentioning all those types of books, um, even with you, no, I think I read that in the book, right? You said Donald Goins. Now I had never heard of him. I heard of Iceberg Slim, but then when <laughs> I looked up Donald Goins, I said, oh, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, okay. So he got, you know, his, uh, <laughs> 
his his uh, a lot of things he wrote about rather his ideas from Iceberg Slim, you know. So exactly. I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, but you know, again, that you know, I love the fact though that you have that mindset, you know, in terms of okay, you need to just really take reading to a level where you're not just limiting yourself. You know, you have to, you know, try out, you know, read different things, you know what I'm saying? So it can broaden your horizon so that you don't have a limited view. So that right there is dope. Again, for those of you who are listening, Real Reading Talk, again, my guest is Brother Masood Abdul Haq, okay? And he is an author and an executive, a speaker, husband, father, all just great stuff, okay? And I'm going to show the book right here. Bam! All right. The Giants in My Mitts, okay? The Giants in My Mitts, you guys. This book, I highly, highly recommend that you all get it. Um, you know, people, I, I just love to read about folks who are unafraid when it comes to letting it be known, okay, this this is me. This is my story. This is what I this is where I come from, my mistakes, my trials, tribulations, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever. But this is who I am. I own my ish. And um, you know, and and this is what it is. So I, I appreciate you uh for that. So I want to ask you though, in turn, how did how did you go about uh your writing process and writing this book? Was it a thing where you know, and how long did it take? Were you just like every little thing that came to your mind that you thought was significant? You would just have a notebook with you and write it down. Mm -hmm. How 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 did how was your process? Yeah, so it actually started. Um, it started February first, two thousand twenty. Um, logged on to the internet, logged on to like Facebook and Instagram, and I started seeing these black and white photos of Rosa Parks and. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Frederick Douglass. And it was it was Black History Month. And I was like, oh, here we go again with the black and white, you know, same old, same old regurgitated quotes. From, you know, we love these people. Don't get me wrong. We honor, respect, love these people. But there's so much more to Black history than just, you know, these people who've been curated and homogenized for, you know, um, people's appetites and said, you know, I have a dream and, you know, all this stuff. You just kind of give us a little box, put it in black and white. It's to me, it speaks to the psyche in a, in a, in a bad way. When you suggest that the only notable or, or um, noteworthy or historic figures were all 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, it's kind of, it kind of is devoid of hope. It's like, you know, yesterday was history. Last year was history. 10 years ago was history. So if we're talking about Black History Month, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of these black and white photos. I'm tired of the same old stories. I'm going to write an essay a day, every day during this Black History Month about people in my immediate circle who I feel should and will last, you know, their stories will stand the test of time. And, and I did that. So each day, you know, I didn't interview anybody. I didn't consult with anybody. It was just all my experiences. I told a story about this person and, and then I just used the hashtag, the giants in my midst and black history in the making. And, um, you know, so the first day people were like, oh, what is this? What is this? Second day was, you know, I used, I think Amir Suleiman the second day and he, you know, his blew up, you know, uh, I tried to use different writing styles and different approaches and just kind of show off a little bit of the, 
dexterity and my ability to write. Like I was kind of poetic when I was talking about the poet. I mean, I was kind of academic when I'm talking about the academic and stuff like that. But um, it really caught on, you know, by by mid by the mid middle point, you know, it was, you know, we were seeing, I don't know, like five to ten thousand impressions on every post on, on all the platforms. So we got through the 28 days and we had like a, a, a celebration type of thing, you know, at the end. And and that celebration, it was a uh, like a live nothing. It had like over 50, 50,000 impressions online. So it was like a really, really strong demand for it for me to make that series into a book. And um, you know, I, I I got back to my regular life, but then you know, people were still talking about it, March, April, May, June, and then finally toward the end of twenty one, I was like, all right, fine, I'll make it into a book. So I compiled all of the um, all of the the essays together, and I was like, this is only like sixty or seventy pages. Like, you know, I've always assumed I would be an author at some point I always knew I wanted to write books and you know have my stories told on the big you know big screen and all that kind of stuff so I was like but if I'm gonna put something out this isn't gonna be my first work 60 pages 70 pages like okay they were giants okay they inspired you but they inspired you from what to what right so honestly like you know I underestimated the publishing process a little bit because as soon as I started compiling I was like, oh, this should be nothing. I'll just add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'll have a book. I'll put it out. And that's when I did the first, the pre-sale, like December of 2021. And I was all out there. I was like, oh, crap. Once I actually got into it, and I was like, I can't, I can't put this out um, if it's not fleshed out enough. You know, there had to be the foundational, you know. And the book, honestly, it ended up being 80% of it. It was the, was the foundation, right? Like, because as a story person, you know that there has to be an arc, right? There has to be a from what to what? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the, the things? Like, who cares if this person is inspiring if you're not telling me how they inspired you or who they inspired? Like, who are you in the first place, you know? Um, so so it took, after I, I did that compilation and I saw that it was, this isn't the book that I wanted, that I wanted to write. This isn't, this isn't enough. Um, it took me about a year. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background on me, I'm, I'm a, uh, I own a pediatric clinic, well, two of them with my wife. She's a doctor. I'm the business person, operations manager, that sort of thing. Um, so that's a, that's a grind right there. We've got three children. All of them are athletes. Two of them are all American type, you know, track stars and AAU basketball, all that kind of stuff. I'm the free one, you know, she's a doctor, she's locked in. So she's, she's got her schedule every day. I'm the one that's kind of ripping and running all the time. Right. So we've got that. I'm the chairman of my masjid, masjid moment, Oklahoma city. We're in the middle of a, a $6 million building project. I'm kind of the tip of the spear on that. A um, lot of paperwork, a lot of uh, just, you know, politicking, shaking hands, kissing babies, that sort of thing. Um, just dealing with the day to day of, of helping to run a community. And then I'm the, the chairman of CARE Oklahoma, the Council of American Islamic Relations. Um, do a lot of work with the Capitol. We do a lot of work with, you know, um, with just, you know, improving uh, the, the experience of being a Muslim in, in Oklahoma. Um, so all of that is like my daily life, right? And um, so I had to figure out ways to write in between all of that. 
and um, it helped. You know, my my wife and I we added an extension to our house. We added a, um, a sunroom to our house, and that sunroom kind of became like a little bit of a sanctuary. Where it was like, you know, if I'm in here, if I'm on, on my computer, guys, just leave me alone. You know what I mean? I had to I had to put myself on a regiment, you know, um, and really outline everything the the and and see you know how I could tell a story because I'm just big on you know the arc and um you know so the people who were in the in the book I mean in the series they're not all in the same order they're in the order that makes the most sense for the arc of the story now and the people who came before the the foundational those are those chapters are much longer I'm, I'm sure you notice like part one takes up probably half of the book part two takes up probably 25 percent of the book and then part three is just the series it's like a celebration and and um and that's the way it came together but all in all um 10 to about 10 months 10 10 or 11 months until i was like okay i can put my name on this and i'll be proud of this you know mm, wow wow i'm tripping on how you waited till about almost about 20 something minutes into the podcast to talk about all of that great stuff right there all of the <laughs> the chairman of this and helping building i'll sitting up there like you and your wife got the clinic man <laughs> i'm messing with you i'm messing with you. that but but i'm just like i'm like okay like what but this is what our people need to hear this is what they need to hear brother i'm like you doing a damn thing, you and your awesome wife. And, and in fact, I'm actually on the part where you talk about your wife and how you met her and all of that stuff. And I'm just like, oh, it's just, it's just, just so awesome, man. It's just so cool. You know what I'm saying? I'm duly live. Yeah. So she like, yeah, you'll see. I ain't gonna spoil it. Wait, no, 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 right? I'm like, I'm <laughs> <treat it." laughs> but no, but yeah, but I'm just like, you know, again, just. You, your journey and, and how you just talking about in terms of, I love the fact how you said your mom kept you, well, you know, mom and dad kept you all in the library, you know, that right there. These are simple things. Once again, that was my mom, that was my mom. Man. Don't, don't shit. Oh, she ain't sharing it. She ain't oh, sharing that. Okay. Okay. My fault. Ooh, <laughs> all right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, yes. So your mom made sure that you all were at the library and that right there is just so key man that is something that I just would love to see you know our parents you know understand and I'm and of course I'm of course you got folks who they already get it right you know you got people who they already know they're like okay yeah that's what I do I make sure that I have my kids at the library this is you know a, a free this is the public university right free university you go in there you mm -hmm. get pick out any book or whatever the case may be but now it's just a different it's definitely a different kind of energy. Like when, even when you go into the libraries now, and especially after the, the, the pandemic, um, you know, you have the energy of, you know, you don't really have a lot of the attendance, I should say, you know, that mm -hmm. you would see back in the day, you know, just like right. you said, when you were growing up, when I was growing up or whatever, you know, but these are the things in which folks need to get back into, you know, making definitely. sure that you have your children, to have them go to the library. I mean, period, born, play. But of course, you know what we fighting against, though? We fighting against what? Yeah, those devices. devices. You know, yeah. so. So, 
so for us with our kids it started you know before they could even speak like you know we would um we would make sure we read to them every night before we put them to bed um and you know i even rock them to sleep and we'd like read i got this really cool book i think it was like nelson mandela's um favorite folk tales or something like that and it's got a, a bunch of uh stories it's like african folk tales um but he he picked it and curated the book and they used to love that and you know you have to be expressive and demonstrative and, you know, trying to, you know, read it and make it exciting for them. Because if you're not, in, if you're not excited about it, then you can't expect them to be excited about it. But, you know, they, they wanted to be able, so they wanted to be able to read to me, you know, after they were almost two years old, you know, it was like, I want to read you a story. So we started, you know, with that. So, um, but definitely the library, it's, it's interesting because, it's almost unbelievable, you know, the concept, you know, you really think about it, like all of this information for free. And now they're making it so lenient where they don't even have like late fees here. Uh, you know, they, they're making it very accessible. And then you still see half the people in there are just homeless people, you know? Wow. So it's like, it's, it's sad. And my children, they don't understand it at all. They're like, well, my book is always there, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it is, it is, it's, it's wild. Um, and to your point, the, the device, the devices, you know, um, that can be a major, major detriment for our children. Mm -hmm. So we have to be um, digital and analog in the sense that right. we're able to not be naive to the workarounds and all of the temptations that are there for our young children. Understanding that the, the the conversation that you were expecting to have with your child when they were 14 or 15, yeah. you got to have that conversation at eight or nine nowadays, because if you don't give it to them, they're going to get it from somebody else at school who has that device and no regulation, or they're going to come across it. So you got to start teaching that stuff early, nine years old, 10 years old, you know, you got to start just biting the bullet. It's like, hey. And as soon as they're able to form those questions, you got to be able to have a real answer for them, because if you don't give them a satisfactory one, they're going to go get it and they'll have they'll have access. They'll be able to go look it up. And if they type the word, the wrong combination in, ain't no telling what might come back. So you got to you got to you've got to quench that thirst for for knowledge. If, if they're able, if their if their mind is forming, if it's enough to form the question, then we have to give them a real thoughtful answer not just a, oh you'll i'll tell you when you're older like nah they're gonna find out later that day <laughs> exactly from somebody else <laughs> yep and so what what you're speaking to is really just us making sure we're intentional intentional about being engaging with our children you know exactly. making sure you know even though yeah we yeah we have these devices obviously i mean you know this is the digital age this is what we have to do however we should make sure that we are, you know, constantly aware of what they are on, what they're watching. You know what I'm saying? Like my daughter, uh, they read something called Webtoons. So okay. that's so she does a lot of her reading online. So it's like these, I guess, you know, some type of animated, you know, stories or whatever, you know, that's mm -hmm. online. So hence Webtoons. So, you know, you have different things that, yeah, they can definitely be able to read or whatever online. But again, we still, you know, have to do our due diligence as parents and making sure that we are in tune, engaging, talking to them, you know, ask, oh, okay, so what was that? What was that about you just read? 
You right. know what I'm saying? You know, and, and so they can be like, oh, okay. You know, they're showing, sometimes they might come out like, why you want to know? Like, you know what I'm saying? What you, you know, right. like what, you know, but it's like, yeah. but like, you see, you know, just having that interest, you know what I'm saying? They, they need to, you know, have that, you know what I'm saying? So from us, mm -hmm. but what I also, what I wanted to now kind of get into is a little bit more about the book, different things. So I wanted, I wanted you to tell me what was uh, the part of the book that maybe was the most hardest for you to write, if, if at all, you know? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, my, my mom's chapter was probably the hardest because my mother is very sensitive and and I think that you know and I, I even kind of alluded to this in her in her chapter where you know she I think might be a little like feel responsible or somewhat guilty for some of the things that I went through you know as a mother obviously you want to protect your your children and but there was, I mean, there was really nothing that she could have done differently or better. Um, I, my experiences were what they were. I understood her her motives for, move, for moving to the city. You know, we needed to meet more Black people. Uh, if we would have stayed in New Mexico too long, we probably would have been strung out on drugs or something like that, because that's how, you know, when there's nothing else to do, kids have sex and do drugs, right? And 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 so we she got us out at the right time she had the right you know thing to move us to atlanta be around other black people meet our tribe so on and so forth but she still sees you know the chapters like calfani's chapter ebro's chapter um the things that i was experiencing there and the, you know the rebellion that i had and just kind of like i was bad you know i was <laughs> And then, you know, she's like, you know, telling the whole world this and make me look like a bad mom. So, I, you know, and and I just wanted to make sure that I uh, I handle Umi with care and um, and really speak to the things that that were, you know, that really that really make up who she is. And that, and that was to me when I boiled it all down, it was nurture. It was um, it was um, health. You know, she's really big on health, on, on like giving us sustenance, you know, like mental health um, and feeding us, feeding our brains, but also like making sure our bodies were well, well fed and fueled, you know, no matter what we had or didn't have, she made sure that um, we, we, we weren't lacking for, you know, quality nourishment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so just crafting that in a way that, um, you know, honored her properly. I mean, how, how can you truly honor your mother? You know what I mean? Especially if it's not a whole book on her. Um, that was a little difficult for me just because I, I know that she probably was like, is he going to say something that's going to hurt? I, she's an empath. She's extremely sensitive. So that one was a little difficult for me. And then, um, you know, there's, there's, there's two, two um, parts in there where I describe, well, three parts in there where I describe like loss, you know, death unexpected you know and uh obviously that's difficult to 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 come up with like those those instances you know almost put a, a hard cap you know over my feelings in a way you know what I mean like nothing it's like nothing can surprise me nothing shocks me nothing saddens me because like you know you're almost jaded as a child if somebody 
you know, really close to you is ripped away like that. And then you're like, I don't have high expectations of this world. You know, I don't have high expectations of for my own future at some points, you know what I mean? So do as you will, kind of, you know what I mean? So you just bury it and you just wrap it up and, you know, and so I don't, I didn't, stuff that would happen that's traumatic or whatever, other, even people dying who weren't as close. And it just was like, it's just how it is, you know, it's like closed off. So writing about those things in the way that I write, you know, I, I try to be descriptive and I try to put you in the situation as a reader, you know, obviously that made me unwrap it and unpack it and do all that stuff again. So, you know, uh, those were, I wouldn't say difficult, but it was mm-hmm. like, you know, I and, and then I didn't want to make it where it was like make somebody put the book down like okay this is too much you know what I mean I, I want it's still an honoring type of thing the whole book is about honoring what was great about somebody extracting a principle um from each one of these people and um you know only one of the three that I talked about were actually a chapter like as a giant but th- one of the fun things about the book for me was that I think that I advertise it as 40 40 giants but there's only 37 chapters or something like that. So it's like an exercise of like, who are the hidden giants? You know what I mean? Like there's people that are mentioned that aren't, that don't have their own chapter per se, but it's like for the reader to decide like, okay, who, who is, who are these other people? You know, I'll give one, you know, one, like from, from my chapter, I was six years old and I fell into a well and you know, somebody, you know, somebody pulled me out of the well, but there, there's no chapter on them. And in fact, that, that whole section, that person was being, was, was kind of like overlooked the whole time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that, but mm-hmm. it's like, she lost in the race. Um, you know, she was a tattletale. She was this and that and that, okay. but she saved my life. Look at that. No big deal. You know, she just saved my life real wow. quick. Like, you know what I mean? So it's little nuggets like that, that, you know, um, I think that it'll make it a good second, third, fourth time read for some people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but just hidden giants. Um, I don't even know where the question was anymore. I'm just talking. No, but. Yes, no. <laughs> well, I, I asked, you know, you, you answered the question, you know, I asked what was the hardest, you know, yeah. chapter, you know, for you to write. And, you know, when you talked about just, I, you know, one of the things I will say man your mom when you said that y'all she was not about y'all eating no sugar and eating all that healthy stuff all the time I was just like that is super dope now I I am definitely pro healthy I you know I'm always trying to have my kids eat you know the blueberries because that's my thing blueberries avocado Mm -hmm. that's all that but I don't shy away from the sweets. Okay. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm that mom who's like, okay. All right. So after dinner, everybody got your, you got your vegetables. Okay. So what you, what you want for your treat, you know, hot chocolate or this, whatever, you yeah. know, I'm that. Well, mom. I think, I think that, um, that there is a need for, for balance because when I got out on my own, you know, I was sugar king, you know what I mean? Because there, it was like, I could just do whatever I want. Like I could right. just buy, I could go to the grocery store. I could literally just buy anything. Mm-hmm. So then I had dental issues and all that stuff. So yeah, I think moderation, like I said, that's part of it. You know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a great foundation, but then we tweak based off of what we know, what the results were. Cause it's just like a science project you know what I mean it's like you have a hypothesis like I think that if I don't give my kids any sugar that they'll be extremely healthy their whole lives right like 90% of that is true but then now I know that hey 
if you if you if you deprive them of it 100 then they can become sugar addicts when they have no regulation on it as, as young adults right so moderation you know so that that's part of what i'm saying like you know second generation has a responsibility to learn from their upbringing and then improve that so if, if the if the first generation got it 75 percent right then it's our job to make it 85, 95% right, you know, and we just got to keep tweaking it until we get it all the way right, you know. Exactly. And you made me think about something. I wish I could, I can't remember. I'm quite sure you'll remember. You said something in, in terms of disciplining uh, the children. You said something about pretty much, you know, when, when we're going too hard on them and, and you said mm -hmm. something about um, it could be criminal at worst. Like you said, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that right there, that always stings to me, you know, um, because of the fact, number one, that's one of the reasons why I had said personally, um, this was a few years ago, actually. So it wasn't like I had got this epiphany, you know, um, when I first started having children, you know, this had to happen after I realized that going too hard on your children, you know, especially in the black community, we know mm -hmm. that, you know, we grew up hearing about, yeah, you, you beat that ass, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, exactly. you know, you, you give it to them, you know what I'm saying? You know, you break them down. So they understand that they're not going, number one, they're not going to challenge you. And a lot of it stems from, I don't want you to get hurt out there in them streets, especially for our boys engaging with the police, you know right. what I'm saying? So that whole aspect of I'm going to tear you up because I'm trying to save you from really getting beat up out here, you know, yeah. you know, in the police, you yeah, know, I don't subscribe to it at all, at all. It didn't yeah. work for me. You know, it didn't work for me because it just made me more rebellious. It made me more sneaky. It made me yep. better at lying, better at hiding mm. stuff. Mm. It made me, um, you know, just not trust, you know, that that person had yep. my best interest at heart. I'm like, yep. uh, it's enough going on out here. Why do I have to, you know, I'm five minutes late for a curfew. Now I'm getting beat with, you know what I mean? With yeah. an object, like how did, how, what, there's no way you can convince me that that's from a place of love. Like mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a practice that came from slavery. And it's one of the ones that I was like, I'm not continuing this. Um, you know, you want to talk about preparing somebody for dealing with the police or whoever, like, like teach them how to speak, like teach them how to, to act. Like the worst thing that I could do to my sons right now mm -hmm. is tell them that I'm disappointed in them. You know, like that, that would break them down more. If I just, if I just punch them or, or whip them or something like that, then it just makes them mad at me. It doesn't make them reflect on what they did or anything. But if I'm like, man, I'm disappointed in you. And they're like, dang, you know what I mean? Like, what can I do to get back to being in your good graces? Because we have a good relationship. Like we have a trust, we have a, uh, a rapport, you know? So if you, if you're not, you have to build a rapport with your children so that they, care whether you rock with them or not you know it's like in you know i have this this thing that people always disagree with me on but i tell them that like um um what is it unconditional love is the lowest form of love right like unconditional love is just baseline standard stock edition like no bells no whistles it's like i love you because you're my mom i love you because you're my dad i love you because you're my kid like that's it like if I if I met you and you weren't that maybe I wouldn't love you maybe I wouldn't like you maybe I would want to get far away from you right um 
I, I want to get past the unconditional part and we want like a true love, like rapport, support, um, empathy, um, you know, like, like, like is almost a higher level than love. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? When it's on top of it, I want to, I want my kids to like me too. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that I'm trying to be their friend, but if, if they go through an experience at school and their first thing is, I can't, I can't wait to talk to my father about this, mm -hmm. then I'm winning. But if their first, if their first thing is, oh, snap, like, I can't tell, you know, I'm not, I got to hide this or let me delete this from, from my computer or delete this from my phone or let me go have this and build this rapport with some girl or boy or teacher or, you know, then you're setting yourself up for them to lean on people outside of your family. You want the family to be the place where everything is discussed, everything is comfortable, everything is um, available to them, including an ear, including empathy, sympathy, all those things. But as soon as you just beat somebody because they make a mistake or say the wrong thing, I mean, like, I remember being a kid, like, hormones are no joke. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have your moments where you're frustrated, where you're lazy. You're going to have your moments where you're, you know, all of that. So I definitely wanted to speak to that in the book. And, um, and you know, it's it's just, I think I've mentioned it. Like, in, in my my relationship with my father, you know, obviously, I think I said it, you know, it's like, daddy issues are the root of all issues. Right. And I'm grateful that ours are just like differences of, you know, uh, philosophy. You know, I was talking about how, you know, he 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 kind of adopts other cultures into his interpretation of Islam. And I don't I think being black is lit. I love it. I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't want to pretend that I'm from somewhere else just because mm. I'm Muslim. Like that's not Islam. Like that's that's culture. Yep. And um. You know, but even in my brother's chapter, it's kind of a continuation of my father's chapter because they're so similar. And um, my experiences with them in Detroit and all that, um, you know, it's just it that corporal punishment plus, you know, that harsh, you know, kick you out of the house, all that kind of stuff. I just said it put a, a, a mile wide gulf in between he and I that, you know, we're still working towards closing you know it's like I, how how can you convince somebody that like abuse is love mm. like that's mm. gaslighting it's like I, i'm beating you and 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 subjecting you to the the lowest of the lowest forms of living on earth out of love like that just never it doesn't compute to me it's almost it's like yeah it doesn't make sense no, and, and I'm glad you said that. And I, what I was reaching for was this book here. Uh, you familiar with Dr. Joy DeGroote? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. post-traumatic slave syndrome, you know, America's legacy of enduring injury and healing. I reference this book a whole hell of a lot um, on my podcast. You know, when I'm, you know, if I happen to, you know, I see a post and I feel like making a comment, especially if it's something that I see that it needs to really, really be said, you know, in, in reference All to right. our people. You know, I reference that a lot, you know, because of the fact of what you just spoke to is the reason why we defer to that methodology of I'm going to whoop your ass, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm going to smack the ish out of you. Okay. Right. I'm going to do all of these different things to you. Where does that come from? Wait a minute. Hold up. That sounds familiar. Oh, right. it's called the slave plantation. Exactly. You know, it's called before our ancestors 
you know, were dragged, they were being drugged off the shores of Africa, put into those horrible ships. That's where all of that started, that submission. Mm -hmm. You're going to submit to me. That, that right. notion of, you know, I'm above you, you know what I'm saying? And this is, this is how I'm going to treat you, you know, to make it be clear that you're supposed to respect me. So now right. translate that into what we've adopted from our oppressors, that aspect of that uh, oppressive mentality when it comes to our children. What? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? What? You challenging me? What? You know what I'm saying? You know, all of those right. different things. And just like you said, in terms of, you know, we when we do that, unfortunately, you know, either you'll have those who will grow up and say, well, yeah, I, I got whoop, you know what I'm saying? And I turned out all right. And that's right. what the, the, the group talks about. She's like, no, you turned out all right in spite of, right. not yeah. because of. Let's right. make it clear. You know what I'm saying? And these are the words that she said. And that's why I love referencing her because she is somebody who absolutely knows our people, absolutely gets it and understands that in order for us to heal, we have to literally be honest. We have to talk about these things and be vulnerable. You know, we can't shy away. That's why I said, you know, in my own life, I remember, you know, I grew up with the same toxicity in terms of my parents, all of these different issues. And then I'm being raised with that. And then I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, do right. that. And then unfortunately, like you said, you start seeing the repercussions of that. You know, you start seeing, you know, you may have that child who they grow up. They like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my mom. You know, like you don't want your kid to just feel that way about you, especially a mom. Right. You know what I'm saying? And even, you know, even being a dad, you don't want your child to look at you in that way. You want them to like you. Right. Them to like you. You don't want them. To, <laughs> you don't want them to be like, yeah, I, I love you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, but if, if I didn't have to be around you, I wouldn't. You know what I'm right. saying? It's like, yeah, we see it so much. Like the people who had the strictest households, right? The people who had the strictest household, when they had a sliver of light of daylight to go, mm -hmm. they were gone and they never looked back. Right. So I have another kind of theory or analogy that I like to use. It's like at some point, you're going to have to throw your children out there into the world, right? They've got to leave the nest. So how we treat them, how we um, color their, their childhood, you know, with their experiences with us inside the house, in the community, so on and so forth, is what determines whether when we throw them, are they going to be a Frisbee and just land wherever they land and stay there forever? Or are they going to be a boomerang and come back and bring something good with them? So it's like, how do we make more boomerangs? Because when I grew up, there was 50 of us. If I go back to my same community, it might be, I don't know, five, 10 that are, you know, actively trying to uphold what we were about when we were younger. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, it impacts every level of our society. You know, um, we have so many unmarried uh, sisters who, are more than eligible. We have so many um, Maliks and Fatimas out there who don't know the first thing about the beauty of our religion. They only know that they bum ass daddy used to be Muslim. He gave him this Arabic name and that's it. And um, so, you know, we see that across the country. It's not just one neighborhood, one community. We see it all over the place. So it's like, we can talk, you can talk until you're blue in the face, but it's mm. action. It's like how you treat people, how you make people feel 
that makes people that's the only real dawa you know what i mean like the 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 people who go around trying to teach you about what they believe it doesn't matter like the, the only thing that they're going to see is how you make them feel how you treat other people you know it doesn't matter how eloquent you are how quickly you can reference some point in some book i don't care nothing about your book if your character is off Let's if your go. actions are off Let's so go. the only way that you can get somebody to be interested in anything that you're about is by just being a good person and treating people well and that starts in your home right so. wow wow you 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 dropped it right there i mean that i mean that's key you know relationships relationships are the foundation you know in any and everything that we're trying to achieve and where we want to see success and that's something and i even translate that to even when i tell parents when they are frustrated when their children are struggling with something like reading you know mm -hmm. don't get upset at them and don't try to you know you know this word you know what i'm saying you just said it you know what i'm saying and going off or whatever the case may be because for real for real when you do that they're really not going to produce they're going to freeze right. up and then they're going to forget anyway because that's just right. you know your brain responding and in that way you and know you so weren't reading to them when they were little thank you and that's you know again like and people just really get embarrassed because of how it might make them look Right. You know, but it's like, did you do the work up front? Did you foster a love of reading? Right. Did you, you know, did you make it to where they're, they're okay with making a mistake in front of you? Mm. Because if they're tense, if they're afraid of making mistakes, they're going to make a ton more mistakes. That's just anything. Yeah. You know? So yeah, and no, it's definitely important. Yeah. Well, I, what I would like to do since, you know, we're definitely, I, I know you're a busy brother, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not going to hold you up too much longer. I just wanted to say this uh, particular quote. I actually had posted it uh, when I was posting it. I was reading your book and um, I like the quote that you said, it's not enough to know what you're against. You must know what you are for. Mm. Can you please, you know, speak to that, to that quote? Yeah. Um, well, you know, as black people, you know, we have, uh, we know our history. We, we know that it's, it's, it's normal and natural to have a healthy distrust of the systems that have been designed to keep us where we've been for the last 400 years. Um, so it's easy to kind of fall into uh, this idea of just, I'm anti-government, I'm anti-establishment, I'm anti-bank, I'm anti-secular schools, I'm anti anti, 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 anti. Mm. That's fine if you're anti those things, but you can't just subtract, 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 subtract without adding. You have to, if you subtract, you have to replace because we're always looking for balance, right? So if you're anti, then what are you pro? And in, in fact, you shouldn't even frame things as being anti. You should focus on what you are for. Because if you tell me that I'm for private schooling, that's a hell of a lot more positive than saying I'm anti-public schools. And if you're always harping on what's wrong with something, then people are going to be like, oh, here comes so-and-so negative, bringing stuff down. Mm. Instead of saying, These, this is what makes private school, this is what makes homeschooling so great. This is what makes our private school, this is what community schools so great. You're a proponent instead of an opponent all the time. It attracts more. It, it speaks to the highlights of something instead of the lowlights. And humans were just naturally predisposed to go toward light, to go toward positivity, to go toward things that make us feel good, positive, reaffirming. So 
if being being aware of the Tuskegee project and um, you know Jim Crow and the slave slave trade, transatlantic slave trade, all these things, we absolutely have to be aware of these things. We have to understand what we're facing. But as leaders, as teachers, as parents, we have to be able to internalize that knowledge and and use it to fuel a positive reflection of that thing. Like what's the opposite side of that? What's the positive? And focus on that. And ah, whenever you lead with the positive, it, it attracts. If, you, if you're negative about everything, then it's going to detract or it's going to attract more negative people and you guys ain't gonna get anywhere. You're gonna talk yourselves into a circle. You're gonna say, yeah, 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 let's get mad, let's get mad. And then stuff isn't gonna get done. People mm -hmm. rally around positivity. So it's not enough to know what you're against. You must also know what you're for. And being for something is a thousand times more powerful than being against something. Wow. Wow. That that right there, y'all. Y'all heard it, Brother Masood. I mean, dropping the jewels. And that's what this book is about. You know, that's what I get from it. I get jewels. I get wisdom, insight. Uh, one of the things you made me think about in that quote, I had listened to a lecture uh, by Sheikh Taufik uh, some years ago, Rahimallah, and one of, and the title of it was, you must resist and counter, resist and counter. So just like what you just said, yeah, you resist all of the things that are negative, that are not helpful, but you got to counter it. So it's not enough, you know, and, and we know definitely in the in the Muslim community, you know, you you know, we grew up with different things like, yeah, you know, uh, obviously you can't have girlfriends, you can't have boyfriends. Right. You know what I'm saying? Those types of things. But I even mm -hmm. like the part you said in the book in terms of creating a space for our young people to interact in a way um, where they are getting to know each other in a halal, which is lawful uh, way. Um, so that when they are looking for marriage, that it's not something where they're awkward. They're not dealing with this. I don't know how to talk to her. I don't know. You know, I don't know how to talk to him. I don't, you know, right. and all of those types of things. So I'm glad you even said that in the book. You know, I mean, you, you drop jewels, brother. I'm, I'm going to have you leave. <laughs> I'm going to have you uh, please uh, leave us with three things that you would advise uh, our community to start implementing in their lives to develop that that culture of literacy um, in their households. What are what are some three things you know? Yeah, first, first, you know, I, it, it always starts like what you said. I mean, with the screen time, if whatever your screen time is, like your average screen time, if you don't if you don't even have an idea of how much time your family is spending on you know series, on movies, on just browsing on whatever you first of all we need to understand what that number is i think a lot of times when people find out what their number is they'd be ashamed right if you just there's a lot of ways you, you can count it but whatever it is you could you can cut it in half to start if you're spending 20 hours a week as a family on those screens like first of all you have to understand that that's how much time you're spending and then make a conscious effort to cut it in half to start out with. So if you're spending 20 hours a week, cut it down to 10 hours a week. And then you have to say with these 10 hours, this is what we're gonna do as a family. 
this is what we're going to do as individuals. These are some of the goals that we have, because now we have 10 hours that our mind was being occupied with someone else's thoughts, someone mm -hmm. else's agendas, someone else's, you know, we're putting money in someone else's pocket. So we have to hone in and rein in screen time, understanding what it is for your child to be on TikTok. What is it for your child to be on Instagram? What are they seeing out there? You know, there's this whole culture of Instagram, like the, the fake Instagram, where kids are, they have, they have secret accounts that their parents don't know about. And um, who, who is, you know, who's with, who is your child with? Who's in your, who's in your child's mind? Like who's sleeping with your child mm. as they ruminate on what they took in that day? You know, as we know that sleeping is when your mind processes everything that it experienced while it was awake. Mm. So who's sleeping with your, with your child? Like mm. we have to understand these things. So that would be the first thing, like really having a scientific approach, a mathematical approach to your screen time. And, and I guarantee you, you can cut it in half and, and figure out different ways to use that time as a family. The second thing is, you know, we have to be, um, we have to be intentional about being around other good people, other good families. Like, you know, the community aspect is kind of fading because of a lot of different factors. You know, you know, if you're around a church or if you're around a, a mosque, then it's easier to, to be, you know, to be a part of community life. But now people are moving out to suburbs. We've got gentrification happening. We've got massage closing, all these different things. There's a lot of different factors. But we still have to be intentional about putting our families around other families kind of to 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 your to the point that, that you made about the need for our children to be able to know how to interact with each other and with the opposite sex all those different things we've got to be able to 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 do things that aren't just academic they're not just quote-unquote religious but they're just really about community building like we have to have spaces for young people where they're safe where they can express themselves we have to be less judgmental. We can't kick people out. Like it's not our responsibility to, to discard of people and to condemn people and to label them and keep that label on them forever, you know? Um, but being around each other, knowing each other, um, it helps with that, you know, because now, and, and I kind of talk about it in the book a little bit. It's like you, a mom and a dad, they're, they're just two people with their experiences, with their preferences, all that sort of thing. That doesn't mean all their kids are going to just be one plus two, you know, like I'm, a, I'm half mom, half dad, I'm 75% mom, 75. You might have a kid that's 12% mom and 3% dad. So where, where are they going to find familiarity mm. with the rest of the, you know, the 85%? Right. That's where the, the outside circle comes in. They might have, you might have a, an, an uncle or a community member who they're 50% of that person. Like, oh, I'm interested in the things that this person is interested in. So now there's a trusted person that's close by. They can even model themselves after. They could use as a mentor. You don't even have to say anything because, you know, like in this in this book, like a lot of these people, they had no idea until they read it. Like, I had no idea that I impacted you this way. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I was just watching you. <laughs> I just, wow. I just peak game. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so putting yourself in, in situations where, it's good families. We have to figure out more ways to do that. And then finally, um, I would say that 
there has to be an emphasis on on um, mental health right now. Um, you know, the, I, I saw a post today. It was really strange. It was it basically said that um, like therapy is for girls, and there's a, a crisis of people saying that mental health is necessary. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. You know, like we own a pediatric clinic. So we're kind of like ground zero for what is coming next in our society. You know, we see yep. eight-year-olds who are hearing voices and nine-year-olds with suicidal thoughts and, you know, 14-year-olds who have gender identity issues and all these sorts of things. And it's, and it's some of it, you know, you can just point to conditioning, but it doesn't change the fact that it's actually happening. It's real. You know, like we have communities that tend to um, just condemn and throw away, cast aside. You know, you go to a, a community and then they're speaking so flagrantly about a group of people. And you might have a young person in that in that crowd, in that audience that is struggling with some of those things. Yeah. So if they're struggling with it, you just eliminated them from your group. You just, mm. they, it's like, okay, and let's just be frank. Okay, so we're talking about homosexuality, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole LGBTQIA plus community, they they lead with, you know, what appears to be love, right? Like welcoming, happy, you know, come here, give me a hug, all that sort of thing. Right. So if, if from a child standpoint, if I'm being faced with if if this is my reality with this group, and then this other group, and, and I don't and I don't know, I might be like them. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. I've got hormones. I've got feelings, people are calling me this, they're saying, they're saying I'm effeminate, whatever, I, I'm not sure. Um, but that that guy right there, he's definitely my friend. He's, mm. he's friendly to me, he's nice to me, I trust him, you know, whatever. He, he, he speaks nicely. And then over here, they're calling him the faggot. They're mm. calling my friend slur. So I don't like them because they're intolerant, they're mean, and I don't think he's a bad person. Mm-hmm. so if, if you're a kid in the middle of this like now this person has pushed you all the way over there mm-hmm. instead of saying hey we understand that these things are happening we understand that there's this temptation we understand that you know there's a lot of indoctrination going on we know that you know some of these larger corporations have agendas all that can be true but at the same time it doesn't mean that we have we we, we toss aside the human element of dealing with this very young person who's confused and we don't want to push them away straight into the arms of the people who we say we're against. Right. Right. Because again, the love or the appearance of love is going to always be more attractive, especially to someone who's as vulnerable as a child who is under, who's confused and is away from the home eight to 12 hours a day outside of your purse you outside of, you don't know what's going on with them. Mm. you ask them how was your day today oh, it was cool okay i'm driving your car that's it mm. they you don't know that they haven't been propositioned they've mm. been you know what i mean like all kind of stuff going on but they don't if you don't have that rapport with them that relationship with them they're just internalizing it and you could be pushing further and further and further away so understanding like what our society is like for real like what it really is and not what we want it to be or what it was you know 1400 years ago Mm -hmm. we've got to meet people where they are and 
and then our, our again, our the dawa is going to be our actions and how we connect with individuals. Mm. Wow, that, and, and I like how you you put everything because really what you're speaking to is again when we're trying to nurture and foster that culture uh, back again in terms of reading and, and literacy and making that a highlight in our homes. Uh, we we have to have the relationships. They have to be there of love and of kindness and feeling validated, you know, uh, making sure that we are raising our children to have sound mental and emotional health. You know, those are things will, that will help contribute to our children even wanting to read. You know, we can't because when we start just making it seem as though, oh, okay, well, you're going to have to do this and that and whatever, but they are surrounded by all of this trauma just like Dr. Joy talked about the trauma, then it's going to be harder for them to even do something as simple as even wanting to pick up a book. Like, man, please, I ain't trying to, you know what I'm saying, forget all that. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to see what's over here popping. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate all of that. That that was very, very insightful. Oh my goodness. What book are you currently reading now? (laughs) Well, I'm, uh, I'm entering into a new phase of my career, you know, as an author and a speaker. I mean, I've been a speaker, um, but you know, obviously having a book, it kind of raises the platform a little bit. I've got a book tour coming up. So I'm actually reading a book called, um, speak your way to cash by Ashley Kirkwood. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm trying to learn how to, you know, best monetize, uh, this next phase of my career. Um, and I'm also, uh, reading, uh, talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I've heard of him. Okay. Yeah. Gladwell is, is good to me because I don't understand. He turns out these thick books in such a short turnaround, but mm. he's he's a sociologist that, you know, his perspective is always interesting to me. I don't necessarily always agree, but um, he has a, a, an easy flowing um, writing style where okay. you almost forget that it's, it is a, in fact academic, you know, um, he incorporates story and things like that. So yeah, those are the two that I've, you know, as readers, you're always reading like eight books at a time. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> literally I saw, like, like, I saw the prompt I was like uh let me just talk about these two um but I, for a writer for any writer there's two books that I would um recommend and that's um um The Hero with a Thousand Faces okay. by Joseph Campbell it's like a, a, a quintessential um to talk about that that story arc and the, okay. like if that's there and then The Writer's Journey um forgot the author but it's actually kind of based off of the hero with a thousand faces okay um, and these are for writers these are for people who are interested in, in writing books yeah people who are interested in writing in general like it okay. could be story it's just this kind of okay. like story has been you know like once you understand the structure of story mm. like you'll see it in every single story that you love mm. and, and it's, it's, it's as old as time you know it's like the three act, you know, kind of foundation, reformation, inspiration, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's there, like no matter what they call it or frame it, you know, it's always, um, repeat it again for, for our listeners, say it again. I I never, I didn't hear it. Well, it's, 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 it's like, it's like, um, you, you drop somebody into the story. Okay. uh, Into somebody's life. So you Mm -hmm. see how they live. And then there's like a call to action, like some event that changes this person's whole world. Mm-hmm. that makes them have to embark on a journey 
Okay. And then, you know, they, they, there's all kind of climaxes and obstacles in the way that helps that prevents them from reaching their goal. It's in every single movie, right? Oh yeah, of course. Right. You know what I mean? And then, and then there's like this, this big turning point and then there's a climax and then finally like a resolution, Mm -hmm. but like Joseph Campbell, he kind of is the one of the first ones I think that put it in book form and, and that book, uh, the hero with a thousand faces, I think it probably sparked hundreds of other books on story, but they mm-hmm. always refer back to that one. Okay. That's what's up. I'm glad you dropped that. Cause I wrote that down oh. so that I can make sh- Oh, I actually oh. have them right here. Oh, so, nice. Oh, good. Uh, is Oh, okay. Oh, good. So when people listen to me, they can even do a screenshot because this will be uploaded to YouTube. So okay, wow. Wow. Uh-oh. I can't. <laughs> the writer's journey, mythic okay. structure for writers. Uh it's okay. by Christopher Vogler. And then finally, I don't have it with here, but um, mm-hmm. um Stephen King on writing was really good for me. Wow. Um, because I don't know if you noticed, but like Stephen King, most of his books are just like excellent story. Even if you're not into the horror genre or anything I'll like say, that. I, never first, been I just saw the movies. You yeah, know, like the first you know? hundred pages of his stuff is always like pristine, like just writing, even if you're not into all the extra really? scary stuff or whatever. Wow. Um, but one of the things that he, 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 he's like uh, adamantly opposed to basically like adverbs, anything that ends in L-Y, he says, if you're using L-Y a lot, it's probably a better way that you could have said it. Really? So like, wow, yeah, that's interesting. Exci- yeah, like, so uh, there's a better way that you can say it. And and then <laughs> um, me personally, I have that same kind of approach to the word that. Usually the word that is unnecessary. If you hmm. really, really look at it, the word that is often unnecessary. So, and then it forces you, if you take that out, you could either just take it out and it's good, or you could take it out and then you'll, you'll be able to tweak it in a way that's more uh, engaging. So those now are my see. tips. Now that's <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> interesting indeed. See? Wow. I took that out. I see. Oh my goodness. Look at y'all. See y'all writing for there. There y'all go. Oh Lord. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that, <look>, that, <laughs> that was something else. Oh my goodness. Just wow. think about it. I mean, it's a, it's a good look experiment. And then, <laughs> you know, obviously you have to use the word sometimes. Of course, but, yes. But a lot of times, a lot of times you don't, so. Okay, all right. All right, Masood, you 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 dropping. I, I, I'm, I'm hearing a, maybe a writing course or something in the future. Create. I don't know. That's what I'm hearing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to tell you, I really really enjoyed this 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 conversation was phenomenal I mean I mean that's that's how I gotta you know say it man you know what I'm saying I mean you you dropped a lot of jewels you gave a lot of insight a lot of wisdom um vulnerability and I'm just gonna say I highly recommend I highly recommend this book for everybody but I do really really highly recommend it for our masjids in particular our predominantly black masjids because a lot of the stuff that you talk about that we have dealt with in the black Muslim community, you, you talk about it in a real unapologetic type of way, you know, and that's what people need to hear. 
you know, and then just the fact of you being proud of being black and Muslim, you know, because we know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, this could be a whole nother show, but I'm just going to say it for real. You know, we know being black and Muslim, that has been something for a lot of folks where they felt like, can, can I say, you know, can I talk about being black? You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm Muslim. (laughs) You know, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, right. it's, you know, we, we've heard it. We maybe even internalize that yeah. thinking, you know, well, I, I, I rail think, against that thinking in that book. Oh my goodness, man. And I, I'm ready for all the smoke too. Hello. I, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Okay. For real, man, we going, we are going to be proud about our culture, you know, and that's exactly, you know, what I promote unapologetically being ourselves mm-hmm. And uh, because, again, you know, we only have one judge and we know that one judge is a law, one God. And uh, and we're all a work in progress. So and I appreciate again, like you said in, in your book, I mean, you really for me, you know, I, I felt like, wow, man, just the, the comfort, just feeling like, OK, you know, you walk away like I, I, I do. You know, I have a lot of things to offer. I have value. I have worth. You know, my experiences should not be something where, you know, I should be ashamed to talk about. Of course, you're not going to say every, every, everything in your life. Some things you got to keep private for sure, you know, but you do got to share some stuff because you got our young people, they dealing with stuff and they keep, they feeling like they're looking at us like, especially if we're trying to look like we just model, you know, Muslim, you know, you know, you know how that is. Or if you're somebody who's in the Christian faith, you're this model Christian. Like if you're a saint, I can't relate. Exactly. Yeah, because I'm not a saint. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and so it's like, show me some vulnerability, show me some real talk, and then I listen to you. Thank you. And that's and that's you know all of that came from you know my experience with mentoring young men and young women, and mainly young men though. Like, and a lot of times you know if I'm dressed like this, come in and suit, they look at me like, what right. this thing gonna tell me? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I start start telling them my story, and they like, oh right just like me for real right it's like wait i could be like that you know and that's kind of the, the progression you know of, of it but if you just come in and you're like you know langston hughes once said <laughs> you know what I, mean? I love langston hughes but it's like you've you got to be able to lead you got to speak to the ear that's listening and you got to speak the language of the people and uh, you can't do that if we're uh, how you say uh, and it's like bro you from Atlanta bro like why are you talking like that exactly like come on now it's it, it ain't it's it's cool you know what I'm saying we we can we can speak our ebonics or whatever the case you know what I'm saying our vernacular and we good and we are still who we are you know what I'm saying we right. still are practicing Muslim or whatever you know faith you are you know we have to walk in this space being unapologetically ourselves and I really felt that in your book and again I just want to say thank you uh for you know accepting the offer to come and be a guest on Real Regan Talk. No I definitely enjoyed it and I appreciate you and uh looking forward to sharing sharing it when once it's uh out for the in the public and just let me know if there's anything I can do. Make sure you try to come out. I'll be in Cleveland um actually March 4th. Um I've got a reading at the first first Cleveland mosque. Um on March 4th, that's a Saturday. So um, if you can tell your people, you know, we can have some discussion. If anybody has any questions or whatever, you know, I, I'm welcoming all of that. 
that debate and talk and just whatever comes with it (laughs) for sure inshallah god willing that that sounds dope yes yes indeed all right so i appreciate you again masood and everybody this was episode four of real reading talk i am your most gracious host miss sasha and please remember to implement at least 30 minutes of day of reading in your day all right you all take care peace what i tell you guys that interview was just so refreshing um i just absolutely love talking to brother masood abdul haq um he has a uh, very uh lively and um inspirational story i mean his experiences you know that he, uh he shared uh in the interview was just awesome and then when you all get his book though and you all read for yourself uh the different things that he had experienced um from you know where he lived how he grew up all of those different things was was just truly amazing and i was just so glad that like i like you all heard in the interview that he was being vulnerable and authentic and relatable because uh, that's exactly uh, how I felt in terms of reading the book and having our conversation. So with all of that being said, now, um, of course, I got to get into uh, what it is uh, that I do. Um, I am a pre-K through fourth grade reading tutor. And the name of my reading tutoring business is ABC Learn Tutoring. So if your child is struggling uh, with uh, basic uh, reading uh, skills, like for example, if they uh, struggle with uh, phonics or phonemic awareness, being able to connect those letters to the sounds, uh, spelling, uh, basic writing skills, confidence, uh, all of those different things I can help your child with. So if you can just please go to abclearntutoring.com, click on the free reading assessment today, and I do tutor online. So your child does not have to be where I'm at in Cleveland, obviously. All right. So also, I am the founder and executive director of ABC Read. ABC Read, our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in Black and underserved communities. We've been doing this since 2014, okay? So we've given over 5,000 books to our families. And you all can be a part of this mission by simply going to abcread.org and you can see all of the different events and things that we've done. And uh, if you would like to contribute to our cause, please, please do so because we definitely need it and it is truly appreciated. And I want to give a special shout out to all of our donors thus far. Uh, They've helped us tremendously. So we are definitely grateful to them as well and our funders as well. And also I have a uh, online store. It's called readingisfreedom.store. And I'm about to show you guys. Let me try to show, lift up. (laughs) <laughs> show the shirt right <laughs> all right reading is freedom okay so reading is freedom dot store um please go and check that out we just uh dropped some new uh, reading is freedom designs and we've been getting a lot of rave reviews people like oh i like that that's sweet that's dope all that. i'm like all right cool cool now just go on and purchase one of them shirts go on and get you a sweatshirt all right get you a hat 
they say reading is freedom, okay? Because we definitely have to link our reading to our liberation. And make sure you go to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Reading is Freedom. We have a multitude of read-alouds on there for the whole family. And you know, of course, I'm all about Black people and trying to make sure that we're empowered. So there is a plethora of stories that feature Black people, Black culture, and Black experiences. So please make sure you go to Reading is Freedom YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, like, share, leave comments. We definitely want you to do that. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel, ABC Read, okay? So that one is linked to the nonprofit, okay? So, and I want to end with a couple more things. And that is the books that I've been reading, all right? So... I'm still reading Giants, The Giants in my midst. And I have to show it now because it's so funny. During the podcast, I was showing the book. I'm thinking that I was being shown. And then when I saw later, you know, when I obviously looking at the recording, I'm looking like, where am I at? I said, okay, ain't no problem. I said, you know, got to do the intro and outro so they'll see me then. The most important uh, person that I wanted you to see was Brother Masood Abdul Haq. Uh, and so I'm glad you saw him and you heard both of us. So that's very important. So here's his book right here. And I highly recommend you all grab this book. And um, of course, I referenced Dr. Joy DeGruz's book. You know, I'm always referencing this book. I believe that all of our black families should have that book in their libraries um, as well. So those are the two books that I'm reading. And then I want to leave you all with this quote. All right. And so the quote actually comes from Masood Abdul Haq. And I got this from his book, The Giants in My Midst. And he said, it's not enough to know what you're against. You must know what you are for. All right. So you can be anti-anti all you want, but what are you pro? What are you for? Okay. So with all that being said, I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you leave comments. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share all of that good stuff. It's going to be on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all of that. All right? And please remember to implement at least 30 minutes of reading in your day. Everyone take care. This is Real Reading Talk. I'm Miss Sasha, Episode 4, Season 3. Peace.